Let's introduce you properly to all the little babies. You've seen them in person, and then you can see them on the screen now. So we're going to show when they were newborn. So this is all the lovely little babies when they were new. Then they look gorgeous. So we've got Noah, Michaela, Asher, Ariella, Tilly, and Wren. And this is what they look like today now. Now, our story starts in the little town of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is about six miles south of Jerusalem. And today there is drama in Bethlehem because one day Samuel turns up. Now, Samuel was Israel's prophet. He was a powerful man and he would hear from God for kings and nations and he was very important. And many years before, his mother Hannah had brought Samuel to the temple and dedicated her baby to God. And in that dedication to God, he grew up in the purposes of God to be an important prophet to steer the nation and the happenings in the nation. But he was so important that everybody was a little bit frightened of him. So when he turned up, you didn't know if you'd been good or you'd been naughty. And so this is why there's drama in Bethlehem, because Samuel turns up and everyone looks at each other and the elders of the town said to one another, uh, is this good news or is it bad? But it turns out that Samuel has brought a large heifer with him for a big feast. And he's going to have a big feast and everyone is involved and all the townsfolk are watching to see what will happen next. Now Samuel has a secret agenda that he hasn't told anybody. But with this feast, there's something special he's come for. Now all the elders of the town are invited to the feast and Jesse of Bethlehem was invited. Now Jesse at this time was a very elderly and respected farmer in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah. And the 12 tribes of Israel, they all had a different symbol for their tribe. And the, tr the symbol for the tribe of Judah was the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, Jesse was a farmer, and he was a wealthy farmer. He had flocks, they made produce, and his household made cheeses and bread and wine. And he and all his sons were invited to the feast. Now, it turns out that Samuel was on a secret, dangerous mission. And if the king, King Saul, was to find out, Samuel could lose his life. Because Samuel has come to anoint a new king. Now, the nation already has a king, but King Saul has gone astray and God is going to announce a new king. But if King Saul finds out, that's bad news for everybody. So there comes a time when Samuel calls all Jesse's sons before him because God has told him that it's one of Jesse's sons that will be the future king. And the sons line up. Now, Jesse has eight sons and two daughters. And the older three had escaped domestic Bethlehem for the excitement of being a part of King Saul's army. Now they're home for the feast. And they're there, they're all impressive and tall, especially the eldest three young warriors in Saul's army. And in the book of Numbers, it tells us that you had to be 20 to be in the army, the age of 20. So likely these three older sons in Saul's army are around 20 to 24 years of age. Then there's two daughters and another four lads, and they're maybe aged 16 to 19. So they're all lined up before Samuel. And Samuel looks at these boys one at a time, and God whispers to him, not this one, not this one, not this one. And despite their impressive appearance, God says it's none of these. It's none of these seven sons, says Samuel. Do you have any others? Because he thinks all the sons are there. And then Jesse admits, well, 
there is still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. Now, in their language, youngest, that word can mean smallest, youngest, unimportant. He's so unimportant, we just forgot all about him. He's too young, out of sight, out of mind. And he wasn't included, and he wasn't even called to the feast. You know, Samuel had asked for all the sons to be there. But David on the hills, young, he's maybe 15 at the time, 14, 15, they didn't even bother calling him. So Samuel says, well, none of us are going to sit down to this feast until David comes. Now, the smell of this cooking heifer and all the spices and everything being made, it was so amazing. Nobody wanted to wait. It's like, quick, run and get David so we can have the feast. So they run and they get David. And they call him in from the fields. And he's just the youngest, smallest of the brothers, maybe 14, 15, 16 years of age. And the Bible tells us he was glowing with health, with a fine appearance and handsome features. So, of course, he's been fit up there with the sheep running around. He's got a tan. But in his time up there, he's been like getting to know God. So they call him down. And as soon as Samuel sees him, Samuel says, God tells him, this is the one. Because the Lord looks at the heart. And no matter how small, how young, even these little children we've seen today, God sees our heart. He's not looking as man looks on the outside. He's not impressed by that, but he looks at the heart. And God saw the heart of this young man of Judah and knew he was perfect to become a future king. So Samuel anoints David as the future king in front of all the brothers who didn't get chosen, wonder how they felt, and everybody in the village. And then finally, we can all eat. And the Bible says, on that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then they send him back to the hills to look after the sheep, but not for long. So one Samuel records after this in the Bible that a terrible battle or the the start of a battle is about to take place. King Saul and his armies, they have faced the terrible Philistines and battle lines are drawn. Now history tells us that the Philistines were a very cruel race and they, it was a If you were facing a battle with the Philistines, that was bad. And the Philistines, we see on this little map, the Philistines are on one hill and the Israelites are on the other with the Valley of Elah between them and there's a deadlock for 40 days. Why is there this deadlock? Because the Philistines have a secret weapon. They have a huge nine foot nine champion warrior. You know, that's that's, uh, a foot taller than Cyril the Swan. And this man, he was a giant, he was a champion, he had defeated many others, and he came out every morning, and he shouted across to the Israelites on the other hill, and he said, let's just sort this out man to man. You send a warrior to fight me. If I kill them, the Philistines rule you. If your warrior kills me, you can rule us. But everybody knew what that meant. Nobody could fight him. No one could defeat him. And every morning he came out and made this taunt. And the Israelites were so frightened that they would run away. And they were in deadlock 40 days. King Saul didn't know what to do. Because if one of them dared to go out and fight Goliath, they would definitely die. And the nation would be ruled by the Philistines. And that would be the end of the race. And so what happens now? Jesse sends David with a bit of food and to find the news of what's going on. 
So he sends David to the battleground. He says, take 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and 10 cheeses for their commander. That's keeping in there with the commander, I think. And bring me back some news. So David arrives at the battlefield. He's so excited. He's escaped the sheep. And now here he is. And he goes to find the brothers to give them the bread. And his brothers are so annoyed at him turning up. The eldest, Eliab, says, what are you doing here? And David goes, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? Brothers, eh? And so there they are. Now David arrives just as Goliath starts taunting the nation. And David is shocked at Goliath threatening the Israelites. He looks around to the men around him and he says, doesn't Goliath know who God is? And David asks the men, is there a reward for the man who can fight him? Yes, they said, there's great riches and you can marry the king's daughter. And he went around and he asked. And David says, who is going to be, could go and just take away the disgrace of this man taunting Israel? Eventually, the guys take him to King Saul because he won't shut up. And he goes and he says to the king, and I love this, you've got this young lad. He's maybe 15, 16 years of age. None of the warriors will go out there. And he says this to the king, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I will go and fight him. I'm sure some of the guys in Saul's tent there were having a little bit of a, <clears throat> you know, this little boy thinks that he can do it. And yet this like small bird of a child, compared to the battle-hardened soldiers, he stands there like a lion, not a bird, a lion of the tribe of Judah. But who is like God, he says. Does Goliath not know? God will give me strength for the battle, and then the nation will know peace and rest from this fight, and we will become happy and blessed again as the chosen people of God. And despite being the smallest, stood around King Saul at that time, his confidence is contagious. Now, where does David's confidence come from? When he says this to Saul in front of all the soldiers, where does that young boy's confidence that this can be done, where does that come from? Two things. The first one is from his family, from his parents and his grandparents. Because David had generations of family telling the mighty stories of God's rescue. At special feast times, the stories would be told of God's rescue, as well as the day-to-day. -day. And God instructed the families, the parents and the grandparents, the aunties, the uncles, the whole family, to be telling the stories and pass them on. So it's a small boy, but it's a big God. And this is what God instructed his people in Deuteronomy. It says this, God gives instruction to his people. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Can you see it's living out your faith, living it out with your children, talking to them, telling them, explaining um, taking them along that journey. And in Deuteronomy 11, it, it, God says to his people, remember these commands and cherish them. Tie them on your arms and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. It doesn't mean literally, but it means let it be that close to you. It's almost like tattooed on your arm or on your head. Teach them to your children. Talk about them. 
when you're at home and when you're away, when you're resting and when you are working. And parents, it is the life behind the scenes that molds and shapes our children. Our example is the first influence on their lives. What could be more important that we raise them to know the true and living God? We need to teach them that God is close, that he loves them. He is our strength and we can build our lives on him. And in everything else that we teach them, this is primary and foundational that it's at their very core. And this is why David is so confident, because as a young lad, he has absorbed all the stories of the Lord's strength in battle, and he is confident. We can give our children that same confidence. And secondly, the second reason is this. As a young shepherd out on the hills, this is where his raw warrior skills were honed. It's not only Goliath that's been fighting battles. But out of sight, on the hills there, David has seen God repeatedly turn up for him and give him the victory out of sight where nobody can see. And this is what he said to King Saul in 1 Samuel 17. And this is the secret of what he's been doing out on the hills. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. This is a brave boy. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this pagan Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And so he explains how the Lord who rescued me will rescue Israel because it's all about God. It's not about how big I am, but it's about the almighty God who can rescue us. And incredibly, Saul accepts his offer. There's something about his confidence that is so contagious. It brings hope and this astonishing conviction that God can do it. It, it travels through the whole camp. Because David knows who God is and God's power. So they let him try. And we move to the fight. Now, Saul brings him into his tent and puts his armor on David. David's like, I can't wear this. It's too big. It's not me. It's someone else's armor. I've just got to be myself. And he refuses to put the armor on. And he will just go to fight Goliath with only his shepherd's kit. And this is very significant because it's only the weapons of his life as a shepherd that he takes into battle. It's like the authentic David, the stripped back David, just David. The David on the hills who worships God and sees his power. He just takes the weapons of a shepherd, a sling and five smooth stones in his shepherd's bag. What I, what I love about this moment that is so, I, I just feel this is so significant for us in a time when social media would want to squeeze us into being like this and looking like that and having that and being this and there's such pressure on us to conform. David wouldn't conform to their pattern. He, he laid it all aside and he said, I'm just going as me. And God empowered him as himself David. And that's what God will do for us, just to be ourselves, comfortable in our own skin, with God helping us, 
not pressured to be like this or be like that or have this or go there, but just to be our authentic selves empowered by Jesus. How freeing that is. And although to the others it looked like David was going out there very vulnerable, which he was, he just refused to take on someone else's shield, but he just went as the authentic David. I love that. And our little kids as well, it's important that we, as we raise them and help them to find their way, we don't pressure them to be this or that or go this way or that way. It's not, we're not living our life through them, but we free them and help them to be themselves, to know right from wrong and to find their way in life. And God can use them now, not just waiting to be grown up, but they can be used from a very young age in the purposes of God. So this moment now on the battlefield, it's not just David's life that hangs in the balance. But you remember, if Goliath kills him, the whole nation are ruled by the Philistines. So it affects the destiny of a nation. And the army watch as David walks down there and they hold their breath. One young child against Goliath from Gath. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 17, this is what Goliath thinks. Goliath, he says, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he shouts out, what are you doing? You sending me sticks? You sending me a dog? And he starts to rail abuse to see what effect that will have on David. But David just shouts in the loudest at the top of his voice, he says, I come against you in the name of the Lord. In other words, it's God's battle. I will defeat you, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel, for the battle is the Lord's. Such confidence. Now, as the Philistine moves closer to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. And with a swing of his slingshot, the big man is down. When the army see this and they see that the hero was dead, they turned and ran. In shock, the Philistines retreat, the armies engage, and victory is won that day and peace for all. Because a little young man gave it a try and it took one stone. And of course, Goliath's own sword. But you can read the gruesome details for yourself in 1 Samuel 17. Our young David, he wins the battle. He brings peace and rest for the whole nation. He starts it off, the nation finishes it off, and there he is. He brings this peace. He wins a rich reward. He grows to become a leader of armies, and he marries the king's daughter. And what is his reputation, this young man? Saul's servants say of him, he is a brave man and a warrior, and the Lord is with him. And that makes the defining difference that the Lord is with him. And ultimately, David, this small shepherd boy, he becomes a king, just as Samuel had anointed him. And then through King David's royal line, many years later, comes the birth of Jesus through that line of David. And at Jesus' birth, shepherds were watching their flocks on the hills of Bethlehem, those same hills where David sat. What a wonderful echo that is, that the shepherd David on those hills becomes a king. From the royal line of David comes the birth of Jesus, and on those same Bethlehem hills are shepherds at night when Jesus is born. 
And on the hills, they are the first to hear the message of the angels and the good news that peace has come to all men and that all life is about to change because of the birth of Jesus. And Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. And if we remember, the symbol for Judah is a lion. And the Bible describes Jesus as the lion of Judah, the victor, the king of the jungle, the lion. In Revelation, it says this, the apostle John writes, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Because when Jesus came, he came as a baby into the world to grow up as a man, to identify with us, so we could understand what God is like. When now we read through the pages of the Bible and we see in the Gospels what Jesus was like shows us what God is like. And Jesus was full of love and compassion and helping people. He looked, he said, the people are like sheep without a shepherd. He called himself the good shepherd. He is a good shepherd and a lion of Judah. And when Jesus came and he died on the cross for us, he died to make a way that we could be part of God's family and have all the resources that God intended for us to do this life. Now, parents today, you know how hard it is from the minute you wake up in the morning, they're there, till the moment you go to bed at night, it's 24-7. We need patience and kindness and wisdom, and God has these things for us. There is a fount of wisdom and patience and kindness and self-control and words of knowledge and wisdom from God in our parenting. And that is from deep within us, because when Jesus comes into our life, his Holy Spirit is in us every day. As we go through our day walking with Jesus, he helps us by the power of his Holy Spirit, that we don't live this life just trying our best, but we live this life with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And that is like the oil that... that um, that makes everything happen. And it was a powerful thing, Jesus coming to this world for us because his love is so great. His love for us is beyond description. And he wants every person to come into the fold and to know that love for this life, walking with him now, but also one day when we die and we pass from this life, that we're sure of our eternity, that we spend eternity with Jesus and his love and his beauty by coming to Jesus and saying, thank you for dying for me. Come into my life. I wish to follow you. Have all your resources now in this life, but to travel into the next life with you that I may know the adventure beyond. And that is the beauty of the cross and the power of the cross. Now, parents, for your child, knowing the personal and all-powerful God is high priority. And one day they will come to a point where they make their own choice. But you can guide them and help them because there is nothing more important to know the love of God like David gives them an armor stronger than you know, Goliath dressed from head to toe in bronze. When they know the love of God, not just the love of their parents, but the love of God, it gives them a strength in their identity like an armor to face the outside world. Every parent will know when, if you've had a child, the first time you leave them with a babysitter, oh, that's really hard. The first time they toddle off into nursery, oh, and then the first time they go to school, then uni, then, you know, buy their own home, or maybe they meet somebody. And parenting is a series of giving away, giving away, giving away. And our role is to train them on that journey. But just think they have their own armor. When we're not there to protect them anymore, they have the armor of God by knowing him personally and knowing their identity is rooted in him, like David. 
and uh, that he, they will be strong. And so along with your love and your training for life, knowing God is the most important thing. It is the best thing you can do in helping your child to discover him. Now, our homes are like a training camp of God, readying our children to play their own part and to be ready to face the world. Now, David, he learned his skills out of sight, fighting the lion and the bear, faithfully tending the sheep, worshiping on the hillsides of Bethlehem. So he grew in a strong faith from his family and from his own personal experience. And this was his training ground. So parents, as you dedicate your children today, it is in the privacy of our own homes that raising our children to follow Jesus has the most impact. When our children see us as they follow Jesus, that seeing us pray, we have the next slide, please. Um, oh, sorry, no, you can go back. Sorry, I put the slide in the wrong place. Thank you, Ben. Um, seeing us pray and seeing us read the Bible, experiencing our faith journey, I remember when our children were little and one time there was somebody in the church, we were aware of a need that they had. And we sat around, we were pioneering the church at the time. We didn't have very much money, but we gathered some money together on the table and we put it in an envelope. And as a family with our three little children, we prayed over it and we wrote the name of that person on the envelope. And then we drove to their house and we checked that they weren't, wouldn't see. And one of the children ran up posted it through the letterbox, and then we all drove home and were excited that God had met this need, and we knew that that person who had the need, they would open that envelope and know that God had heard them. And we took our children on these faith journeys of serving other people. And so as we pray, as we read the Bible, our faith journey, how we solve our problems with God, how we speak to one another within the home and our service to others, all these things affect our children. Our walk with Jesus is their first example to copy. And so dedicating your children today, ask for God's help to raise them to know these things. To know the promises of God for their life and to know the direction of scripture like a lamp to their path. So they have that all through their life, a lamp to their path, the promises of God for them and the direction of scripture for their lives. To know right from wrong, to love and serve others and to stand up for justice, to learn from us how to pray and how to worship and how to develop character like Jesus. Read them the Bible stories like David learning who God is from a very young age. Bring them into the church community to make Christian friends, not just the services, but when you have small group picnic or we go to the park or we go to the beach. And church, just as we kind of, um, you know, said amen this morning to that pledge that Adam brought us, let us together create a welcoming and supportive community. We can do that together, where we say hello to the children, we support them, we're loving and kind, and, a, and create a, a community of love where children can thrive and grow and look forward to coming to anything church together until they make their own choice to follow Jesus. And it's interesting how... Jesus is with you in all of this. And when Jesus gave like what's called the last commission before he went back to heaven, he talked about us going out and explaining the good news of Jesus to others and discipling them. Well, the same is true for the little disciples in our own home. And so in Matthew 28, Jesus says this. 
He says, and teaching them, this is like when we're helping people find Jesus, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. And Jesus being with us is in this context of mission, of helping people find Jesus and then discipling him in their way. How much more true is that for our home? So be assured that Jesus is with you all the way as you do this. And parents, as we raise young Davids, little women and men who know who God is, be encouraged that the Lord is with you. Be diligent and purposeful to see your little ones grow in strength and in faith. And as you dedicated them today, know that Jesus receives them. As we prayed those prayers, as you dedicated them to Jesus, he receives them just like the parents who took their children to Jesus and the disciples tried to shoo them away. And Jesus is like, no, no, don't stop them. And Jesus says this, the little children came to him and it says, then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. That's the Jesus that we serve. He loves children and he loves your children And today, as we prayed for them, he blesses them, and he hears our prayers. And in Matthew 19, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Our little ones can find faith in Jesus from a very young age. It will guard them, it will protect them, and they will know joy, and they will find their place in the purposes of God. So Jesus loves and blesses your children today, and he wants to give you all the resources you need as you dedicate them to him. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these dear little children that we've seen dedicated to you today. We ask that you will bless them. They will know your love and your kindness upon their life and you will protect them. They will grow up with health and well-being within the community. And Lord Jesus, we pray for all the parents, all the day-to-day joys and tiredness, the difficulties, the challenges, but also the love and the funny times and all the precious things that you bring. We ask that you will bring your strength into their lives, bring them wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment, patience, all the things we need. And Lord, together we we just long to see these little ones grow up to know you, to serve you, and to be protected by your hand, your love upon them. And we ask, Lord, for every person here that we will know our identity in you, that you have great love for us and a purpose for us. And if you've never yet given your life to Jesus and you'd like to, like Tammy was saying earlier, you could pray this prayer with me because Jesus yearns for you. He has such love for you for you to know all his goodness, all his good things, to know him in this life now, but also once we pass the veil into the life beyond, that you will spend that with God. So let's pray this prayer. If you've never prayed this prayer, then you can pray it with me and give a heartfelt amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. You love me so much. I thank you that you died for me. I ask that you will forgive me all the things I've done wrong. And I turn to you today. I ask that you will come into my life and empower my life by your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you all my days and secure me a place with you in heaven when I die. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to pray for you now. Lord Jesus, for anyone who's prayed that prayer for the first time or online, 
I ask for the rich blessing of God upon you today and the empowering of the Holy Spirit that you may know great joy in your life with Jesus, that you will bless them and fill them with your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.